Welcome home. As you listen to New Life the Fort, may you continue to experience the fullness of joy, life, and Christ in the days ahead. We're going to jump off from Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Um, since uh, we're coming at the heels of Valentine's, we're going to talk about matters of the heart. Matters of the heart. Who among you here have heart issues? Oy. Issues of the heart. Let's read Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Out of it spring the issues of life. I'm going to read it in the voice translation. It would say this. Above all else, watch over your heart. Diligently guard it because... From, this, from a sincere and pure heart come the good and noble things of life. Let's pray. Father, we want the good and noble things of life. And we ask you for your grace, for your help, that we get to steward our hearts diligently. We thank you, Lord God, for the grace that you have granted us. We thank you, Lord, that even in this place, our eyes will be able to see more and more of who Jesus is. Thank you, Lord God, that our hearts are strengthened and established by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Last Wednesday, I had a, had a date with Pastor Mitch. Wonderful date. We had a movie date. We ate together. I was looking at her eyes. So beautiful. But before we had our, our date together, we actually had a date with about 300, 400 uh, high school students, grade 11, I think, about 15, 16-year-olds. And uh, they had a topic. They invited one, one university here in Makati invited us. And uh, the topic was, where is the love? Where is the love? Now, for some of you, you'd be familiar with uh, the song, Where is the Love? by Black Eyed Peas. Uh, I, I just know about it because I was re researching for cultural purposes and uh, social studies. Um, don't listen to those songs. Um, no. There's a line there the, that says something like this. If you don't know truth, then you don't know love or vice versa. Okay? If you don't know truth, you don't know love. Where is the truth? It's hidden under the rug. That's what they'd say. And... Uh, before I get into that, the scripture here says to watch over your heart. Above all else, watch over your heart. Let me propose to you that the greatest stewardship that God has given us is not over your resources or your wealth, not riches. It's not over your talents or your gifts. That's not your greatest stewardship. Your greatest stewardship is not even about your children nor the relationships that you have with other people. The greatest stewardship that you have is over your own heart. Because in the end, the things in this world will fade and it will be gone. So the resources and even the giftings, you know, that's well and good. It has its purpose. But the greatest stewardship that we have that God has given us is over our own heart. Even with your children, you can, you can maybe at a certain point in their lives, we can make decisions for them because they're too young to make 
certain decisions, what to wear, you know, all these things, simple things. But eventually, what we're training them to do is to be able to make decisions for themselves. And so, with your own maturing heart, if you watch over that and if you focus on the things of God, then your heart will be healthy in, a, in more ways than one. That is because we, are, we ought to steward diligently our hearts. And it says there, from a sincere and pure heart come the good and noble things of life. We're talking about matters of the heart. So number one, let's talk about your heart condition. Okay? Everyone here has a heart condition, whether that condition, oftentimes when we say I have a heart condition, it's on a negative uh, connotation. But everyone has a heart condition, whether that's a good thing or whether it's something that needs to be better or something that you need saving from. Prior to Jesus Christ, prior to our lives being given to Him, when we realize that He gave His life for us, the condition of our hearts, this is universal. This is, whether people believe it or not, the heart of man is in a bad state outside of Jesus Christ. In fact, the Bible would say in Romans chapter 3 that we all fall short of God's glorious standard. There's a standard, and when you talk about God's standard, it's not just high, it's actually impossibly high. There is no way for a man outside of God's grace to attain this glorious standard. There's no way. No religious act, no good thing, no, <clears throat> no good work, no prayer, no memorizing of all scriptures in all different translations and languages. There's nothing in our own strength that we can do so that we can present it before God and God would say, okay, you've reached the standard. In fact, um, <clears throat> let's go to an example. There's a young man who approached Jesus Christ. Young man, the, 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 <clears throat> the context is this young man grew up in a religious setting, of course, you know, uh, as a Jew who followed in the most strict way all the ordinances of God, all the commandments of God. So he was feeling confident about himself to go before Jesus and say, um, and he said, what, what can I do for me to enter the kingdom of God? And Jesus very interestingly answered this thing. Now imagine if it was you or me, if it was me who approached Jesus, what can I do to enter the kingdom of God? Jesus would not answer the same way because Jesus' answer to this guy is this one. There's one thing missing. One thing missing. Now, I can imagine if I ask God, if I ask Jesus, what else can I do? Jesus would probably say, there's a lot of things missing. There's a, a whole lot of things wrong in the way you're living your life. But this guy had one thing missing. If you ask that question, do you think Jesus would say to you, there's only one thing missing? Can you imagine one thing missing? But one thing missing does not make it like he's one step away from attaining God's glorious standard. That one thing, that gap is still impossibly difficult gap to bridge. There is no way that man can bridge this gap. No matter how perfect you try to live your life, 
outside of God, there's always one thing missing or more things missing. Now, the only way we can actually do that, number one, we need to recognize the need, our need for somebody to save us. The description of our heart in the Old Testament is actually pretty clear. And Jesus displays this life very clearly because of the opposites. You know, Jesus walked perfectly and Jesus did not mince words, in fact, speaking to the Pharisees and the people of Israel. But in the book of Jeremiah, it displays and describes very clearly what kind of heart people have when they are outside the will of God, when they are outside His realm, when they have not committed their lives to Him. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9 would say, The human heart is the most deceitful thing of all. Wow. Most deceitful of all things. And desperately wicked. Pause there for a bit. The human heart is most deceitful of all things. And desperately wicked. Now I have a tip for men who are courting somebody. If you're writing a card or a letter or giving a gift and you want a, spirit, uh, a scripture quote, don't say, I'm giving you my heart. Jeremiah 17 verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. This is not something that you write. But it's just saying that this is where we are. This is not just some. This is all. Humanity falls in this category. The thing is, when you review human history, we, we can easily pick out the monsters in history. The Hitlers of the world. The Mao Chitungs of the world. Those people who committed atrocities beyond imagination. Who have probably killed uh, millions of their own people in the name of whatever it is that they believe in. And we can say, I'm, I'm not that kind of person. You may be not, but we need to recognize the capacity of man for uh, wickedness. There are certain places that the, the, the judgment of the Lord came heavily upon them and they exist no more because of the wickedness that existed in the people from young to old. This is something that we need to realize. That's, that's a capacity for everybody. But praise God, that's not where we end up. The, if we continue to read the scripture, it says there, who can know it? Who can know the heart of God? Who can know this heart? Now, going back to our date with the high school students, we were talking about love, courting, purity, and all of that. Okay? And we mentioned that love cannot exist outside of truth. Because it's not real love if you're not presenting the truth. For example, you know, it is, I guess, human uh, reflex. If you like somebody, what you want to present to them is you put your best foot forward when you're, when you're trying to impress a girl or whatever. You know, you want to show them the best, your best side. And then maybe later on when you trust them enough, you open yourself to being a little bit more vulnerable to show 
the side of your life that not a lot of people see. Because all of us, like for example, uh, the people who really, really stay with you and, and support you, despite knowing all your ugly side, warts and all, and they're not many, there may be just a few people, right? Your family members, you know, not even all your friends in Facebook know you for real, right? It doesn't mean friends, it's actually mean, it actually means it, right? But the ones who really know you, warts and all, like I said, these are the ones that can say, you know what, I really have a love relationship with them, okay? These are the people who understand you for who you are. And the best person to know you, everything about, I'd say a little even better than yourself, is God Himself. He understood your heart. He understood the capacity for wrong things. And despite all of that, He says, you're worth it. I love you. Can you imagine somebody who was totally imperfect being loved by somebody who was absolutely, totally perfect? This is the very definition of love. And it goes beyond that. It says, the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrates His love for us, that while we were still sinners. Now, when we, when we go through pre-marriage counseling, who among you here are thinking of marriage? Anybody thinking of marriage? Just thinking, I didn't say you have a partner. Just thinking of marriage. One day, one day. Okay? Thinking of marriage. You will go through marriage counseling. And one of the things that we say, um, it's which, which is very important, you're not getting married to the person that they will become. You are not marrying somebody's potential. You're marrying the person they are right now. And hopefully, they fulfill the potential they have. But you have to accept the person they are right now and you're saying yes to this person right now. Right? They're still not perfect. Right? But praise God that the grace of God is there. And praise God that you, know, you can encourage and um, in, invite one another to a journey towards, towards lasting change. That's why the only person we can say who truly know us and love us despite all of the things that we need changing from, that's God. That's why we all need a change of heart. That's another time I want to use. We have a heart condition. We, have, we need a change of heart. And not just, sometimes when we say that, you know, you really just change your mind. But a change of heart is something different. You know how it is when uh, somebody goes through a heart procedure or a bypass or, or a transplant. One thing that I've learned is that you, you have a new lease. You have a, almost a brand new heart. And that's good. You're healthy once again. But you can't go back the way you used to. You have to rethink the way you eat and the way you exercise and the way you live your life. Right? You understand this because you, otherwise, the, the condition of your heart will deteriorate again, even though you have something that's brand new right now. Now, 
The Bible says once you receive Jesus Christ, you're a totally brand new creature. That's well. That's wonderful. Suddenly, all the things that God has planned for you, you know what? It's wide open for you. It's right there. It's available. But in order for us to actually live it out, it's still dependent on whether or not you'll step into it. Because if you understand anything about love, God will not force you to do anything. It's always a partnership. He will empower you. If you focus on Him, He will make sure that you live that full life. I came that they may have and enjoy life to the fullest till it overflows. Anybody interested in that kind of life? Absolutely. But it's not going to happen just like that. There's a constant receiving. There's a constant communication. There's a constant dependency on the one who designed that life. Right? But one thing that we cannot do, we cannot change our own hearts. He was the one who made available for us a brand new heart. In fact, that promise was realized in the New Testament, but it was promised in the Old Testament. Let's go to Ezekiel. In Ezekiel, Jesus was, uh, God was speaking. He said, I will, Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26 to 27, he, say, he says, I will give you a new heart. For people here, I'm just speaking by faith. For people here, who you have a medical heart condition. Maybe you're listening downstairs. You have a, a medical condition in your heart that the doctor said it's not, it's not looking good. I declare this over you. I declare a brand new heart. I mean, physically, a brand new heart in your life right now. Amen? But here, God is speaking in more spiritual terms as well, which can result in a physical. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. He continues on to say, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgment and do them. But one thing that's important for us. So you receive Jesus Christ and He gives you from a, from a heart that is a heart of stone. Or, or we can say a heart that is focused on the law. Because the law was written on stone. And you, and you think you can achieve glory, God's glory, by following the stone. And God is saying, no, I'm shifting that. I'm changing that. You will no longer have a heart of stone or a hard heart, which we'll talk about. A hardened heart, I will give you a heart of flesh, a a heart that can grow, a heart that can uh, receive wisdom and instruction from the Lord Himself. I will give you my spirit. But one thing that is important for us, God may give you a brand new heart, but it is you and me to pursue, to have, He can change your heart, but He cannot change your mind. We need to make that decision. That's where it comes in. Guard your heart with all diligence. There's, there's one thing that God will not do. He will never force you. In Romans chapter 12, it says there very clearly, so that we can walk into what He's saying. 
there's this, this brand new heart comes with great benefits. But we need to understand what's in the will of God. And for us to realize that, we have to renew our thinking from old way of doing things to a brand new, totally new order of things. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Right there, they're telling you all these things. 15 steps to this. 11, whatever, you know, different things for you to succeed in life. But God doesn't just want you to succeed in life. He wants you to reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. It says there, but let God transform you in a new person by changing the way you think. So you have a changed heart, but now you change the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you. Now that's something big. Anybody interested in knowing God's will? I want to know God's will. Right? We want to know God's will. Is this really you, Lord? Is it, you know, am I going to take this job or am I going to stay here? Am I really going to stay here, Lord? Or am I going to go abroad? What? We, know, we want to know God's will because these are big decisions. Right? But how do you know that? How do you get there? Continue to be transformed. Renew your thinking. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. In fact, the more you live your life like that, you may, not, you may realize it or you may not realize it, but then you are, suddenly you are expressing who God is in the world that do not know God. You suddenly become a reflection of who God is in a world that do not understand nor comprehend God Himself. Now, we remember what the Bible says, that when Adam and Eve was created, they were created in the what image and likeness of God. In the image and likeness. So, it's, it doesn't just mean that you look like Him, but we also act like Him. Because it is possible that you may look like your mom, but you act like your dad. You understand that concept, right? But when God made man in His own image and likeness, it means we look like Him and we act like Him. That's awesome. But now we lost that and God is bringing that again through the person of Jesus Christ, the express image of God Himself, and He's living inside of you, and He gives you that capacity in a more glorious way because that one was lost and was temporary, and then this one here is permanent. In Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, what would it say? Now all of us, with our faces unveiled, because before we were in shame, we were afraid, we don't want to show our true selves. But right now, you can unveil. What do we do? We reflect the glory of the Lord as if we are mirrors. Wow. Can you look at the person beside you? Go ahead. There you go. What are they reflecting? Oi. Oi, glory. Morning glory. And so we are being transformed metamorphosed into His image from one radiance of glory to another just as the Spirit of the Lord accomplishes it. Yes, we want, you know, we want that change of heart. 
But that change of heart is a one-time event. But the changing of our mind is something that we choose to do so that we can live out all the benefits and all the potential of having that changed heart. This is what God made available for you and me. But here's the danger. We've heard the term hard hearts or hardened heart. In fact, there's one particular person in the Old Testament that we identify a person. This person has a hard heart. Pharaoh, many times over, the scripture would say, and his heart was hardened, or he hardened his heart, or the Lord hardened his heart. Time and time again. So Moses comes into the scene and then tells Pharaoh, you know, let my people go. Let them worship in the wilderness. And most, uh, of course, Pharaoh would not allow it until a plague would come. And then Egypt will be in disarray. And then Moses would come in again. Do you still want to, you know, let my people go? He would relent. Pharaoh would relent and said, okay, fine, fine. Let, you know, they can go. And then the plague would disappear. And then he would change his mind again. And time and time again, this is the, this is the cycle. And Pharaoh, the Bible said, and Pharaoh hardened his heart again. Because when we say that, somebody who's hardened, whose heart is hardened, we usually relegate it to somebody that is obviously rebelling against God. Somebody who is, you know, obviously coming against God's will. Somebody who's really maybe full of hate, full of anger, full of bitterness, and all of that. And we say, your heart is hardened. Like for example, for, for men, you've been courting this girl and you've been spending a lot of money. At the end of it, when you ask and you hear these words that you dread, no. Oh, you have a hard heart. Right? This guy, we can easily say, you know, this guy really has a hard heart. Jesus uh, invites his disciples, let's go to the other side. There's a guy there waiting. And this guy is obviously, you know, demon-possessed. He's been chained. He's been rolling around in the tombs and doing all sorts of things. Everyone was afraid. That person has a hard heart, does not want to receive God. And sometimes, the gentlest touch is what will break the hardest of hearts. So if you have friends or relatives or whatever that you think you, you know what, continue to be good and kind and pray for them because you don't know you're touching their heart in a different way and it will shatter their defenses and guess what? It'll be a heart that is ready to accept the goodness of the Lord. You don't know that. Continue to pray. But hardness of heart does not just come in this fashion where it's a rebel, rebellious, angry, hate, he, uh, full of hate, full of bitterness kind of thing. But it can also come in more subtle ways. And that's what I want to talk about. Because it's dangerous not just for people outside who, you know, who do not believe God. It's dangerous for the people inside. Let's look at this scenario. Jesus who recently just had a, performed a miracle of multiplying bread to 5,000 men minus women and children. And then he sends his, uh, his disciples to go ahead. Mark chapter 6 verse 45 would say this, that Jesus, go there, 
Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and head across the lake to Bethsaida. So Jesus was the one who gave instruction to go ahead. So was it Jesus' plan? Absolutely. So now, now, who among you would like to go to Israel or go back to Israel any time in your lifetime? Right, okay. It's not impossible, okay? God will, you know, God is a God of impossible things. Anyway, when you will see the lake of the, the Galilee, Sea of Galilee, okay? And it's not that big. In fact, you can probably cross it maybe uh, in an hour and a half or two hours, right, Mom? You can cross it for about, you know, that long. But these disciples have been rowing for hours because it was stormy. Can you imagine hardened fishermen having a hard time, of course, hard time crossing. And, and if I'm not mistaken, they've been, they've been trying to row, they've been trying to cross for about six to nine hours. They're tired. And somewhere around three o'clock in the morning, Jesus sees them and He decides to walk on water. Right? Can you imagine stormy? How would you walk on water when it's stormy? I don't know. I, I think it's, it's hard to walk on water when it's stormy, right? Some of you are like, Pastor, it's hard to walk on water, period. Actually, you have a point. It's hard to walk on water regardless. So these guys on the boat trying to, you know, row and whatever, and they see a guy, I don't know about you, but if it's 3 o'clock in the morning and, this, and the waves are raging and the wind is blowing all over the place and you see a guy walking on water, Maybe you're very spiritual, but if it was me, I, I'd probably freak out too. Freak out. Because it's stormy where we are, where that guy, there's no storm. So you imagine this, the, can you go to Mark chapter 6, verse 49 in the Amplified Classic? Can you go to Classic? If you can do that, if you can do that. So Jesus, they saw Jesus walking. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost. Let me go there. When they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and raised a deep shriek of terror. A shriek of terror. I don't know about you, but a shriek of terror? Just imagine 12 guys shrieking in terror. But then I like what Amplified said, a deep throaty. Okay? Kasi lalaki pala sila, di ba? Parang, grabe ka naman nakakaya. Siguro Peter was like, ah! And John had to go, pakaya. Oh! Right? Jesus walking in water. And then, of course, they realize it's him and they invite him in and then he steps into the boat and immediately the storm stops. And they freak out. They are so the Bible says here, can you go uh, to the scripture? Verse 51. Then he went into the boat to them, and the wind ceased, sank to rest as if exhausted by its own beating. And they were astonished exceedingly beyond measure. 
if they were freaking out one moment and suddenly this time they were astonished beyond measure. And he went up to the boat with them. Uh, go to verse 52. For they did not understand. They failed, listen, they failed to consider or understand the teaching and meaning of the miracle of the loaves. Now, wait a minute. One time, they were thinking about drowning and all of that, and suddenly they're thinking about loaves? What's the connection? But it's so random, right? In fact, their hearts had grown callous, had become dull, and had lost the power of understanding. In another translation, it would simply say, their hearts were hardened. Now pause for a bit. Let's just consider this a little longer. Pharaoh had a heart that's hardened. Obviously, he was serving another god. He did not believe the god of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He, he used the Hebrews as slaves, right? He disliked the idea that they're going to leave. And so his heart was hardened. That's fine. We can easily understand that. But now, we're not just talking about normal Jews or we're not even talking about Pharisees. We're talking about disciples, followers of Jesus Christ, and yet their hearts were hardened. How's that? Is it possible that people can come to church, say amen, and whatever, whatever, but then they can't continue to receive more because somehow they've shut themselves out and they just say, you know what, I know that. Like for example, something very simple. Okay, we come to church, worship, whatever, preacher comes, opens the Bible, and says, okay, let's talk about something very simple and basic this morning, this afternoon. Let's talk about John 3.16. And somebody goes, oh, John 3.16, I've heard that before. You know what? You know, I've heard so many. Suddenly, you shut down, you don't listen, you're checking your phone, whatever it is, you don't anymore open your heart to receive what happened. It may not be obvious, but suddenly your heart got hardened. It's not open to receive anything more from God because you think God has already revealed to you everything about that Scripture or anything that God would reveal at all. Hardened hearts. And this is what happened to these disciples here. They failed. Their their sight was so limited to natural things. In fact, this is not the first time it happens. It happens again. Mark chapter 6, this one. Let's go to Mark chapter 8. This one here, they just, Jesus just finished feeding 5,000 people. 5,000 men, if we follow the scripture. The next one, Jesus just finished feeding 4,000 guys. And then Jesus packs up and then they all leave. This time they all leave together. But the disciples, interestingly enough, they forgot to bring or to buy provision. They only, one ha- they only had one bread, flat bread. And, and uh, Jesus was speaking. So the scenario is this. They forgot to buy provisions. They only had one thingy of bread. And Jesus took this opportunity to say something. Because Jesus was just speaking to the Pharisees. And so Jesus was in teaching mode. So Jesus begins to say, In Mark chapter 8, verse 15, what would Jesus say? Jesus took this moment to warn them. And Jesus said, Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Jesus is teaching. 
the disciples were thinking about something else because they, they forgot. Now, can you imagine? One bread, 12, let's just say 12 to 15 guys. It's not going to work. These guys, we can, if they're Pinoy's, they will be extra, extra rice. These are the kind of guys. These are, you know, like carpenters and whatever. They, they can have small ulam, but they have to have one, one kaban of rice. Okay? They can eat like that. So they're thinking, you know, we don't have provision. Next verse, how would they respond? The disciples go, what? And some people start saying, he's saying this because we ran out of bread. They just came from Jesus multiplying bread. And the same guys who distributed bread are the same guys who are worried we don't have enough. So did they get the lesson that Jesus was trying to teach? Absolutely not. And Jesus was like, what? And this is what Jesus says because he heard them talk. Can you imagine? They're not in a big boat. They're in a small boat. And Jesus was right there. And Jesus, this is what Jesus said. Why are you focusing on bread? Don't you see, another translation would say, don't you perceive, can't you perceive? Don't you understand? You have eyes you don't see. You have ears you don't hear. Are your hearts so hard? Don't you remember? And he begins to remind them about what he just did. What are the things that Jesus... These are the symptoms of a person whose heart is hardened. Wrong focus. You're focusing on bread. Natural things. Okay? Cannot perceive. Perceive means to be able to distinguish. To be able to discern. To be able to identify. This is natural. This is spiritual. They couldn't tell the difference. Right? They can't... It, their mind is just one thing. It's just here. They could not understand. To understand is even consider. They're not thinking about it. Right away, it goes to natural things. They cannot understand. They cannot, uh, they don't have a revelation of it. They cannot apprehend. They can't grasp. They can't figure it out. You know, apprehend God, you know, it's hard to comprehend God. Because you will not be able to understand everything about God, but you'll be able to get something. Even right here, you may not understand everything, but please understand something. You may not even get everything that I'm trying to say. Guess what? That's, not, that's probably not for you. But get something out of it. Don't even get... Maybe you're not getting what I'm saying, but get what God is trying to say to you. Because what He's saying is far more important than what I'm saying here. But you may be right here sitting down at your chair and God is speaking to you. But you cannot hear what He's saying if you cannot see and you cannot hear. And it says there, do not you remember. Don't you remember. We can't recall. You can't, you can't connect what happened then and what can happen now. This is something that is a, this is a symptom of somebody whose heart may be already hardened to the things that God is trying to do. In fact, um, do you remember the, 
the scripture that says, where your heart is, no, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Remember, these guys are focusing on the wrong thing. They're focusing on the natural, not just necessarily bread, but natural things. You forgot the bread. And Jesus said, you're focusing on the wrong thing. You know, whatever it is that you focus on, your, your senses will be heightened towards that. Your resources will go towards that. Your attention will go towards that, right? That's why for some people, they can't remember anything, you know, you know what happened in the church. I don't know. It's, it's good. What's good? What did you hear? I know. But sa maganda. Okay? What was the scripture? I don't know, but it's in the Bible. Right? And maybe we're, we're one of those who's trying to really memorize certain scriptures. Maybe life scripture, whatever. But you're having a hard time. Right? But, but at the same time, you can remember dates and phone numbers and who... Uh, how many friends following you in Twitter and Facebook and all these things. You can remember all these other details. And how come you can't remember this? You know what happened? Your, your attention and your focus is somewhere else. But then if you shift that to these things, suddenly you have things that will feed your heart, not things that will feed your ego. Very different. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. It is an indication where your heart is at. But when your heart is in the right place for focusing on God, then suddenly the things of God will open up to you. Again, you may not even get everything, but certainly you will get something, and this something is more than enough for you to take that step, and another step, and another step. I'll end with this one here. What's the one thing that can help something that has been hard, hardened to soften up? I'll propose to you heat is something very good at softening something up. In fact, I gave this, this example. Um, who among you like or you've tried bulalo? Like bulalo? The kind of bulalo, maraming meat, may mga gulay, pero this one like bone thing, and then you get the marrow inside, you scoop it up like that, and you get this hot steaming rice, and you put it on top, and you mix it together, and you maybe get, uh, I don't know if you like uh, uh, patis and calamansi with sili, and you mix it together there, and you eat it, with <laughs> so good, right? You understand what I'm saying? Wow, that's actually good. Anyway, it's not good when you leave it alone and then nagsebo na siya. It's like, it's kind of, I mean, you, you, when you try to eat it, it's, you, you can not just, you can actually bite through the oil and it's you. Especially if you put it in the refrigerator, it's not that good. But it will be good again if you heat it up. It's going to be good. And you can do the whole thing again with the rice and the whatever, right? Because Fire, heat, will keep you pliable, your heart pliable in the hands of God. Because He is the potter, we are the clay. And it's important for us to keep our hearts burning more for Him. And it's not like we're trying to do it, but the more you focus on that, the more desire. Remember Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. 
it is all the, it is him all the while effectually at work within us giving us the power and desire right now i say that because it's important for the heart to remain hot keep yourself hot i'm not talking about the weather it's getting hot these days but there's something about what god was trying to teach the people of israel through the heat of the desert in the wilderness dependency humility hot humility humble open and teachable that's what god was trying to say if you remain hot humble open and teachable then your heart you may not be perfect all the time of course you will miss it at a certain point but god continues to shape you and mold you and hone you that you are continually transformed into His image more and more. One thing to expose yourself in this kind of heat, I'll tell you a story. Two disciples walking to the road towards Emmaus. Jesus just died. The Pharisees and the Sanhedrin were ecstatic that Jesus has been taken care of. The Roman government is very wary what's going on. They, they, wanna, you know, they don't want any rebellion popping up. The situation is very tense. The group of disciples were afraid. They're scared. They don't know what to do. Their, their, their leader, their master, their rabbi has just been killed. Obviously, they're scared. They thought he was the, he was the one who's going to transform Jerusalem, transform Israel back into its glory. They're walking, heavy hearts. They don't know what to do. They're talking about what just went on the past few days. Jesus comes, joins them. Didn't recognize Jesus. Didn't recognize who was walking beside them. In fact, they rebuke Him. Say, you don't even know. Are you the only one in Jerusalem? Don't know what's going on? And he tells them, uh, uh, the disciples tell him what's going on. And then Jesus responds. Can you imagine a stranger walking with you and then corrects you? And this is what Jesus said. Can you go to Luke chapter 24? Luke 24 would say this. Then Jesus said to them, You foolish people. When was the last time a stranger calls you foolish? You find it so hard to believe all the people, all the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from the, all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So Jesus was, was teaching the disciples about himself, starting from the first five books of the Bible all the way through the prophets. That's an interesting Bible study right there. And they got so caught up. They got so interested. They got so hungry for more of it that when they got to their destination, Jesus was pretending to go, you know, go on ahead. And they invited Him. Why don't you eat? It's getting late. Why don't you stay with us for dinner or something? We want to hear more of what you have to say. So at the dinner table, they have, you know, simple preparation for dinner. And Jesus took the bread. Listen to what happened. Jesus took the bread. He gave thanks. He broke the bread and gave it to them. And two things happened 
at once. On one end, they realized it was Jesus. This guy who's been walking with them for miles and miles, they didn't recognize right there, they recognized him, and at the same time, he disappears. Now, that's very interesting for me because the, your eyes suddenly not needed to see who Jesus is when you recognize him with your heart. That's what happened. And they got so excited. They didn't even mind that Jesus disappeared right before their eyes. They started talking. Don't you, don't you see that while... Can you read through? Let's go through the next verse. I think verse 32 or something. That while they were walking, they said to each other, Didn't our hearts burn? Now this is the good kind of heartburn. Because we can experience heartburn. Maybe you drink water too fast or whatever it is in your... Onion, heartburn. That's different. This is different. This is a good kind of heartburn. Didn't our hearts burn within us as He talked with us on the road and explained the Scriptures to us? Anytime you hear the preaching about who Jesus is, there's something that's going on in your heart. If you enter with an open heart, if you enter with a humble heart, teachable heart, it will always burn. Right? And one thing the Scripture says about that is having a broken heart. What? A broken heart? I don't like broken heart, Lord. Broken heart. That's not a broken heart. I don't, that's not the broken heart I'm, I'm saying. The Bible says in Psalms that God does not he does not enjoy sacrifices and all of that. It's, it's not about that. But a broken and contrite heart. What that simply means is a heart that is humble. A repentant heart. It is a heart that has been shaped in the wilderness crossing where you realize your dependency on God is something you can never let go of. It is a heart that is shaped in that season of wilderness where you realize I can never be without my dependency on who God is. And when you live your life like that, He can proceed to bring you to a place flowing with milk and honey because the things that you have will not determine and will not change who you have. Right? Now, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads for a bit. Maybe you're here and you want you want more of God. You want your heart to burn more for God. You don't want to get to a place where your heart is hardened. If that's you, just raise your hand. I want I want more of God, Pastor. I want I want my heart to burn more for Him. Raise your hand. Doesn't matter. There you go. This is for anybody, everybody. If you want your heart, you want more of God. Say. More. I don't want to get to a place. Protect me, Lord, from that. Father, for those people who are lifting their hands for more of you, I just release this heat wave of your presence in their lives. You continue to shape, to mold their lives according to your desire. Thank you, Lord God, that they will they will they will not forget, they will be able to see, and their focus is only on you. The things above, not on the things below. I pray that over you in Jesus' name.
Amen. Now close your eyes and bow your heads, please. Just close your eyes and bow your heads. Maybe you're here and you've never gotten to a point where you decidedly gave your life to Jesus Christ. Maybe you thought, you know, all the things that religion has taught you, you followed, you did that, but somehow you keep missing it. You keep falling short because the way to God is not through you. The way to God is only through the person of Jesus Christ and realizing that He's the only Savior, that He is Lord, that the reason why you are forgiven of your sins is not because you are so good, but He is so good. So I'm going to ask you, if you want Jesus in your life today, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Now raise your hand. When you hear me say three, I'm going to count to three. And when you hear me say three, just lift your hands. Don't think about what other people would think. Are you ready? Here you go. One, two, three. Lift your hands if that's you. If you want Jesus in your life. I see some hands being lifted up. Continue to lift your hands. Don't bring it down just yet. Go ahead. There's still some people. You know your heart is burning right now and you know God is speaking to you. This is for you. God is already saying in your heart. The Spirit is already moving in your heart. Say, it's time for you to lift your hands up because this is you. This is your opportunity. Go ahead. Lift your hands up. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. You know who you are. You lifted your hands. You know who you are. You can bring it down now. I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer. Are you ready? I'm going to ask everyone just to support you. Say this with me. Father, I thank you. Thank you. That you sent your son to die for me. That you sent your son to die for me. That you sent your son to shed his blood. That he may release forgiveness. That I may have a brand new life. That I may have a brand new life in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ. I believe that He died for me. I believe that He died for me. That He was buried for me. That He was buried for me. And more importantly, that He rose from the grave. He is alive. He is alive. As I am alive right now. As I am alive. Having this brand new heart. Having this brand new heart. And a brand new life. And a brand new life in Him. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's celebrate. Hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you for listening. For more information, follow us on social media or visit us at newlifethefort.com. Thank you.